everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Vegan Proteins, Muscles by Brussels Radio. My name is Giacomo. And I'm Danny. And this is our 51st episode. Alright, well, last year I would say it was pretty darn successful with reaching out to the mainstream fitness community. You know, both of us, I think, really... We were both excited and nervous. We didn't really know how it would work out because normally when we travel and we tour, we're speaking, I mean, let's be real here. We're speaking to either vegans or speaking to those who are veg curious. If you're going to a vegan expo, even if you're, you're at least entertaining the idea that veganism could be a thing, even if you're just going with, say, family or friends, when you're going to a fitness expo, you know, maybe you're veg, veg curious, maybe you're not. I mean, really, you're just going there because you're into fitness. And tabling at these expos time and time again and seeing veganism so well received has definitely given me uh, a new perspective on just how much more work we can do in this movie. What Giacomo is talking about is that we just got back from the Orlando Europa, which is a giant fitness expo that took place in Orlando, Florida. And it is not a vegan festival at all. At all and we go there and we table and we spread awareness about living reaching your fitness goals on a fully vegan lifestyle and when we started our business uh, over 10 years ago we used to tour the veg fests and I mean originally we were like selling protein powder and supplements and stuff but like Giacomo said talking to mostly at least vegetarian so this has been very very different yeah i think really it just shows how much times have changed and how much more the mainstream community in general not just the fitness community has been exposed to veganism i would say like over the last five or seven years so you know the grassroots movement that all of us have done in one way or another i mean it's not just people who are who are doing activism work full-time. I think it's all of us of a community. I think we've done a really good job getting information out there and being a resource for others. Even just with all the products that you see on the shelves these days, you know, there's obviously more and more of a demand for plant-based foods and a vegan lifestyle. And uh, yeah, working with the Vegan Strong team now, this was our first time doing, uh, yeah, this was our first tour with them in, at the Europa Games in Orlando, and then our next one is going to be, it's in Anaheim, right? Which will be in June, June. Yeah, there's just so much on the horizon and exciting things happening right now and okay. exciting things to come. So Orlando was pretty awesome. Florida was a lot of fun. Probably one of my favorite uh, eating trips that we've taken, actually, and I would not have expected that in Florida, to be honest, but we went to Ethos Kitchen, which is amazing, super, super delicious, even though I think as a group we horrified the server <laughs> with how much we were capable of eating. Wait, wait, stop for a second. Can can we remember when Carrie Kid was like, man, I'm, I'm hungry. I could use some cookies right now. And I mean, he said it like half jokingly, half serious, because we ordered our wraps and we ordered our main course and we well, were waiting for the food. Wait, Robert Cheek started us off with a round of mashed potatoes. We thought he was joking. 
he literally ordered six sides of mashed potatoes just to start us off, like before drinks even came. What did we do with those mashed potatoes? Well, we cheered them. <laughs> they were really good, but, you know, he... He really sold those mashed potatoes. But yeah, it was delicious. We also ate at Dixie Dharma uh-huh. and Valhalla Bakery, which was amazing. I just love Southern uh, food. I love Southern food so much. And, you know, LA's cool. New York is cool. But I actually think that, like, this was my favorite food trip. Maybe maybe it's because it's, like, the second one that I... Or the first one that I... Uh, one, wasn't on prep. And two, didn't have, like, the death flu. Yeah, so. and now that you're not prepping, I can say it without feeling bad. Like I'm, I'm over it. You know, I can't say that. I can't say that while you're prepping because you'd be like, "Fuck you!" Like that's it. I'm starving. You have the nerve to tell me that that you're not interested in like a food vendor right now. But yeah, both at Dixie Dharma, we had Valhalla Bakery treats before our main course, and at Ethos, we had a whole bunch of cookies because Carrie was like cookies, and the, I, I personally, I have a sweet tooth. And it's insatiable. And it's to me, it's like a dessert sandwich. Dessert, dinner, dessert. He's nuts. Anyway, but uh, I digress. So what we want to talk about now, today, on this episode, <laughs> has absolutely nothing to do with eating cookies all day long. It's quite the opposite. Yeah. It's how exactly do you diet strategically? Uh, spoiler alert, it's not by going on a food bender. Yeah, so I guess... This, this has come up so much over the last few years of coaching. So you guys know back in 2014, I think, I literally wrote a book about flexible dieting, um, sometimes called macros or if it fits your macros. And it's a strategy that I really, really love. But over the last five years, like I've come to learn that although it works and it will work for anyone in terms of like weight loss or fat loss it doesn't work for some people in terms of their lifestyle or what they're uh, capable or willing to commit to and you know we really really believe that there is no one size fits all approach even though for a hot minute there i definitely thought that was sort of the be all end all and it's still a strategy that i use but there's so many other strategies that somebody could use to uh, lose weight or go on a cut that might be more appropriate for them. And learning learning and kind of creating different strategies for people has just led me to realize that we all really are so different in what we need to do to be successful. For sure. It's a very individual Thing, I think when it comes to food choices and how to get into a diet. I mean, let's just talk about what exactly a diet is because I think it's one of these things where we tend to over-intellectualize how to diet and like what's going to be a successful diet. I mean, it really is just finding a way to create a deficit, meaning you're expending more energy than you're taking. You're burning through all of your food for the day, and then you need to burn through some of your body's own energy stores in order to sustain life throughout the rest of the day, hence resulting in body fat slash weight loss. So to simplify that, every single, every single diet ever comes down to calories in versus calories out. One way or another, that's all it is. Um, but saying it 
that simply doesn't actually make it easier for other people. Like it's super simple, but it's not easy. Okay, so I mean, I guess my first question is, is every diet simply a strategy and a way to make it something you can stick to only outside of it being calories in versus calories out? What do you mean? Well, I mean, in other words, any different kind of way we would structure our diet, like calorically, food choice wise, are these all things largely that are implemented in order for us to be able to adhere to a plan or not? Or are there other factors at work that can make a diet more successful based on how we strategize it? Like what? You're kind of losing me. Well, like put it this way, for example, if I eat a diet that's more fibrous, am I going to burn more calories? If I eat a diet that has a higher protein in it, am I going to have, is that thermic effect going to matter? Um, things like, say, so food-wise, the thing, the choices that we make as far as how we strategize our high days and low days, all these kinds of ideas that are out there that people float as uh, or tout as being successful to help them lose more weight or lose more body fat, are they strictly because the, the people who diet that way are able to stick to their plan better or are there other factors that are worth considering? I think both. I mean, for sure, like you said, certain food choices will burn more calories than other food choices. But at the end of the day, like what matters most, I think, is can you stick to it? If you can't stick to it, it will not work. Like period, end of story, you know? So all of the finer details like thermic, thermic effect of food and things like that, they matter. But I feel like a lot of people get super, super lost in those details. Um, you know, analysis paralysis, we've talked about it before, and they can just like not do anything and make no progress because they're hung up on like one teeny tiny thing rather than the big picture. Yeah, I was actually listening to Revive Stronger's podcast yesterday, I want to say, or two days ago, whatever. And they were just basically saying how the, you know, the evidence-based fitness community, we are actually that, that one kind of group of people that can wind up having analysis paralysis because we become addicted to learning and we're addicted to researching and then we just wind up being indecisive and not taking action. Yeah. And addicted to like the data and optimizing every little thing when really optimizing everything 10% of the time is going to be way less effective than kind of getting in the ballpark of good 90% of the time. You know, that person's going to have better results. And Berto and I, my coach Berto and I have talked about this a lot. Like there's kind of two camps lately, it seems like, of athletes. And I'm sure that's oversimplifying, but there's like the super evidence-based nerdy side of things, uh, which I definitely fall staunchly in that category, folks. And then there's the other side that's like, really bro-y, but it's all heart. Like there might not be a lot of science or data or research to back stuff up, but man, they are like animals in the gym. They'll work themselves to death. And I feel like both sides could really learn from each other. Like I would rather see these super analytical people like myself um, push harder. Sometimes you gotta push harder. You know, we preach moderation and we preach um, balance and sustainability. Sometimes you got to push and it's uncomfortable as hell. And the other folks could probably get less injured, last longer in this game if they implemented some like strategic, uh, tools. Anyway, we're way off topic here. Yeah. Like how does this per pertain to dieting really? Right. 
Alright guys, so I want to let you know we have our next 12-week vegan fat loss course starting up on June 1st, which is coming up really soon. So what it is, is it's a 12-week self-guided vegan fat loss program. So we don't just custom calculate your macros and give you workouts, which we definitely do that, but we also provide you with educational videos almost every day of this program so you not only get the results that you want, but you learn how and why you're getting the results that you want. You'll also have access to our private meal plan and over a hundred high protein and macro friendly vegan recipes that you can drag and drop to create shopping lists and see what best fits your macros. You'll also be added to our private coaching community online and you'll also get a copy of my ebook flexible dieting for vegans so that you can learn all about how to count your macros before you even begin. So we are offering a special discount specifically to Muscles by Brussels radio listeners. So if you are interested in that, you can go ahead and go to bit dot lee slash vegan fat loss course and the coupon code for you guys is mbb radio and that gets you 25 dollars off of the program of course if you have any questions don't hesitate to shoot them at us at info at veganproteins.com well like i said like back in 2014 i thought there was this one way and it was to track your protein carbohydrates and fats and like that works really really well for me it worked really really well for you it's worked really really well for a lot of athletes but not all because not everybody wants to track all their food they just like they don't have it in them and really it may not be necessary for them to track everything they eat Um, on the flip side some people would rather just be told here eat this every day you don't have to think about it just eat what's on this list every day and uh, you know we'll cross the bridge of how to come out of this when we get there, but they want a meal plan and they'll do really well on a meal plan. So like there's just so many different styles of dieting and I've seen them all be successful with certain people. And I guess I just wanted to go over what some of those dieting strategies might be. This kind of covers several different dieting strategies, but I think it's important to start with it because it's a foundation. And when, when we're looking to diet, the second we realize that we're eating less and there's less food on our plate, immediately we go into, I don't want to say panic mode, but we become aware of the fact that we're dieting. And anything we can do to trick ourselves out of that or to reward ourselves for the diet, I think help us ride it out and adhere to it a little better. And I would say the number one thing way to do that would basically be to take yourself out of the diet for like a day or for a meal once a week or whatever the case is. So what I mean by that is, let's just say, as an example, you're eating, I don't know, 3000 calories, and now you need to eat 2200 calories to be in a diet. If you would eat 2200 calories seven days a week, you would just be like, all right, I'm eating less, I'm dieting, this feels like a diet. But if you could just you know, throw an extra 500 calories on, you know, once a week at yourself or have an, a meal once a week, we call it a free meal where you're not think you're not calculating or tracking or even thinking about portioning, but you're being mindful about eating. You can sort of, maybe you're not in as deep of a caloric deficit, but you're still giving yourself a chance to uh, reward yourself for the other days you dieted without going overboard. Thus, you're still in a caloric deficit and it's a little easier to write it out. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I don't know if I'd call that a dieting strategy. Having a high day? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I do try to keep at least one free meal in for the vast majority of my clients for as long into even a contest prep as I possibly can. A lot of times it has to come out because towards the end of like the contest prep where you're getting unnaturally lean, if you take the reins off of somebody for one meal, they can actually do quite a bit of undoing <laughs> of their week in one meal. So usually it does come out at the end of a contest prep, but I think it's a good mental break from a diet, but I still don't think a free meal is actually a dieting strategy. Yeah, this is a pretty broad topic. <laughs> yeah, this is a really broad topic. Even literally as we sat down to record it, we said to each other, like, is this too big of a topic for one podcast? And like, it for sure is. We could give every single one of these dieting strategies its own podcast. But just to give like a, a broad overview of how many ways you could diet. And again, they all come down to a calorie deficit. So I think for somebody who's like brand new, to fitness, doesn't really have a lot of nutrition education under their belt, just learning proper portion sizes, I think is a very good dieting strategy in and of itself. They don't have to count any calories. They don't have to weigh or measure anything if they just learn what a proper portion is. And we mentioned like pasta a few weeks ago. When you go to a restaurant and they give you a bowl of pasta, it's usually literally four or five servings of pasta. But if all you've ever seen is restaurant bowls of pasta, you might think that's one serving. And there are a lot of people who do think that's one serving. Um, so just learning like, okay, a serving of pasta is like a cup. The bowl has four or five cups in it. You know, they can taper back how much they're eating and just with that knowledge and a lot of times when you do this with people they'll find that they're still satisfied eating less because typically if someone doesn't have really any knowledge of portion control and portion sizes just learning that alone is enough to have them make a change and is enough to get them to um, drop some body fat without any of their changes yeah, so without a scale in your kitchen, without a measuring cup, or with anything like that, eyeballing stuff, and being honest and real with yourself, know, well, one, looking up the food, right? Knowing in advance what a serving size is, like we'll use pasta, like Danny said. So we know that approximately a cup of cooked pasta is a serving in this example. I mean, I, I think it would be reasonable to be able to take a look at a plate and know what approximately a cup looks like of cooked pasta on that plate or bowl or whatever and you know you don't have to be exact here it's and now you're right. becoming aware of that portion size and uh you know and you're able to make that choice going forward be like all right i'm eating a serving i'm eating three servings whatever it is just being aware i think is uh is more than is at least half the battle yeah totally i agree um and i actually really like the hand portion control guide like to learn what a portion is based on your hand and i won't go over every single one of them but for example like a fist is a serving of carbohydrates so whether that's a potato or rice or whatever look at your fist that's about a cup well for me it's about a cup and that's the thing is like a bigger person their fist is going to be bigger than mine but they also require more food so the hand uh, portion guide really does make sense for a lot of people and is a great tool that you always have with you, I hope, uh, so, so that you can learn even on the go essentially how to eat the appropriate amounts for yourself. Yeah, I mean, 
because when we sit down and eat, I mean, as, as no matter how much in touch you are with your hunger signals, it's not like they're going to just be quelled and satiated in the middle of your meal. Like, unless you eat very slowly, which I would say most of us probably do not, you're going to wind up being, your, your hunger signals are going to wind up, you're going to wind up feeling them after, like well after the meal. So I think it helps to be aware of how much you're eating without having to overthink it, really, right? That's step one. Now, another way that you can you can dig a little deeper into portion control is by establishing a set meal plan for yourself. I think the biggest benefit from this is um, it runs even deeper than portion control. It's the fact that now you're understanding how to balance your plate. And so, Whereas before, we're like, all right, this is a serving of pasta or this is a serving of tofu. Now we're understanding that that pasta and that tofu and that side of veggies can be on a plate in a balanced way to fuel your nutritional needs for fitness. Yeah, and I think, you know, when I when we started coaching, that's pretty much all we did was meal plans. Like we wrote meal plans for people and they were very individualized. They certainly weren't cookie cutter at all but still there there's a limit to meal plans and especially when like we used to years ago like we would literally just write somebody a meal plan and sometimes never hear from them again and that felt really bad to me which is why we don't do it anymore because i would just imagine somebody was eating this meal plan like for years after i had given it to them and of course that's not really what a meal plan is designed to do I've, but I feel like I've talked a lot about meal plans versus flexible dieting um, as though those are the only two ways to go. And I don't think that's the case. Um, but like Giacomo said, when somebody is eating off of a meal plan, one, it's nice because you don't have to think about it. And if you think about how many times we have to make food choices throughout the day, it gets, it can be exhausting. Whether you realize it or not, you get like decision-making fatigue. So when you're eating a meal plan, that is just eliminated because you already know what you're gonna eat beforehand. And for people who maybe have more knowledge than no knowledge, like if you have no nutritional education, learning portion control is great. But if you have a little bit more than that, but you're not really sure how to implement it for yourself, like Giacomo said, eating based off a meal plan can just help you learn what what uh, quote unquote normal meals would look like, how often they should be spaced, what you should be eating pre and post workout. Like, no, I don't think someone can live on a meal plan forever, but they are incredibly effective. And if while you are on a meal plan, you are also sort of in the background learning about you know what's in the food and why it's working for you then eventually you'll be able to transition away from that pretty successfully but the education part is key i think yeah and then the other thing is when it comes to meal planning well i will take someone for example i mean i i've seen many times where we'll put someone on a meal plan and be like all right well is this the way that i'm eating i'm going to be eating for a while and you know my my answer is usually yes and the reason being is because that you are learning a skill it's not that you need to be on a meal plan indefinitely and you need to be on a meal plan to make results. It's that it's a good idea to be on a meal plan for a period of time, six months, a year, two years, whatever it is, because it, you're literally teaching yourself how to eat. And then afterwards, when you take off the training meals, 
I like that. I like that. Okay, but afterwards, when you take off the training wheels, <laughs> your meals wind up being far more sensible and you make smarter decisions. Now, the other thing is some things you can eyeball successfully to a pretty uh, reasonable degree of accuracy. You know, like a slice of bread. Whereas other things that are calorically dense, uh, your eyes will be dece- you know your eyes will deceive you. You like, gotta you have to learn what fifty grams of avocado looks like. Or I, I want everyone <laughs> try this if if you will uh, entertain the idea. The first thing I want you to do is to eyeball a serving of peanut butter. Serving of peanut butter is two tablespoons. So just grab a spoon and eyeball two tablespoons of peanut butter and you know put it on put it on a dish or a plate or whatever now on the now i want you to grab a tablespoon and actually measure out two tablespoons level you know like level off the tablespoon measure out two tablespoons of peanut butter more often than not you're going to overmeasure so this is where a meal plan comes in handy cuz you literally it becomes ingrained. And then the kicker is if you actually weigh out 32 grams, which is two tablespoons of peanut butter, it's probably less than all of them. (laughs) Which is why weight is probably the most accurate way. But again, not necessary for many, many, many people, but it's still like kind of funny. Like for example, if you eyeball a half a cup of dry oats and then measure it in a measuring cup, the measuring cup is gonna be less. Then you weigh it on the scale and you realize it's like a very, very scant half a cup. Yeah. Anyway, not to go not to go off tangent too much, but like that's another one. Another strategy that we use is we'll do a meal plan with just cups and measuring spoons, and then we'll be like, all right, they're stalling. Rather than cut their calories, start weighing out some things Mm -hmm. on your meal plan because you wind up eating less that way. Mm -hmm. So one of the ways that I like to remember, I said like if you have the education component on a meal plan, eventually you'll be able to transition away from it. And one of the ways that I like to do that is with meal templates. That is what one of the steps to stepping away from a meal plan is meal templates. So for example, like a lunch would be, okay, we're going to eat our lunch off of a seven inch plate or bowl, and it's gonna be half vegetables, one quarter starch, one quarter protein, and maybe like a thumbnails worth of oil or a thumb size serving of fat, and repeat this for dinner. And this is actually a strategy I've had a lot of success with people who have a great deal of nutrition education actually, but they don't want a meal plan. They don't want to be confined to a meal plan, but they also don't really want to be tracking their food for whatever reason. There's many reasons people don't want to track their food. Having meal templates gives them the freedom to have different vegetables or different starches or different proteins, um, but still keeps them like within reason and of course the amounts in these templates really vary depending on who the person is and what their goal is but once you learn what proper meals look like you start to understand what you can and can't swap out pretty easily have you ever done this with anybody templates uh honestly not too much i've i've tossed the idea out there usually at at that stage when i'm when I'm suggesting templates with my clients, I'm encouraging them to start crafting their own meals and I give them the template model as a way to encourage them to stick to nutritious foods and to make it a little easier, make that decision fatigue a little less stressful. You know, I you know, I, I like the idea of being able to track when we're on a diet because it's a it's 
when it comes when it's down to it when it's diet time we're not going to want to stay in a diet we're going to want to get back to our baseline which is not being in a deficit so tracking in some way um, helps and without having to be on a meal plan a set meal plan you know having a meal plan once a week that's sort of set in stone even if it just has to change every week is helpful to stick to it and so people wind up making up their own choices uh, for their dinner or whatever and I was like all right stick to uh, a non-starchy veg and a grain and a vegan protein for example and I want you to make it be X amount of calories and that would be the template but they would wind up making those choices on their own I think yeah I mean I think that my own clients I would say it's sort of like a 50 50 split between people tracking macros and people on meal plans with a handful of people doing something completely different um, in between but one of the other ways that we move from meal planning to uh, flexible dieting or tracking macros for me is I'll start them with okay here's your meal plan but then for dinner here's your macro dinner here are the numbers I want you to try to hit for dinner so that they can start to craft their own maybe more unique meals for dinner and start to learn how to track those foods on their own look at the nutrition labels on their own but it's still way less overwhelming than having a whole day's worth of macros they have to organize it's just like okay here's this one meal it has you know 60 grams of carbs 15 grams of fat and 30 grams of protein you can have whatever you want if you can get close to those numbers and that's usually a pretty smooth way to transition somebody into starting to track and then eventually we'll do like one whole day a week where you get you know here are your macros for the day and sort of move in that direction yeah and i guess i would call that like a hybrid meal plan macro dieting strategy yeah. and that's pretty common honestly when we do that kind of stuff I like employing that method even for people who are very familiar with macro tracking because they need that structure. And sometimes they need their coach to give them that structure to be able to be successful. Honestly, that's my like that's my dieting method of choice. When I'm on prep, I pretty much create a meal plan for myself and only really deviate from that plan if, you know, we're traveling or there's a big social event coming up in which case I employ a flexible dieting strategy you know, more of a tracking what comes at me sort of thing for that event. What I like about that strategy, Danny, is that it takes some of the focus away from food because literally you can sit there and fantasize about the decisions that you can make about the foods that you can mm -hmm. eat by macromathing all the time and making choices throughout the day and changing them. I'm going to eat this, no, I'm going to eat that, or it's just going to be this, and yes. or like dreaming up the... So all that kind of... That's the worst, and you will... That's the one of the major downsides to flexible dieting. So there are downsides to flexible dieting, and what I find is especially in contest prep, man, I, so I've done it, you've done it, I've seen clients do it, and now I really try to steer them away from that. Like, they're so hungry, they're just trying to think of the most magical food that they can make that fits their macros. They spend all this time thinking about food and really, like, you really don't want to spend that much time thinking about food and dreaming up food when you're dieted down that far. Plus, who cares how good you look and how satisfied you are with your physique if your relationship with food is shit? Like, that's going to be a recipe for disaster down mm -hmm. the line. Uh, if nothing else, for your mental health, which for us, we feel very strongly about having... Uh, 
a good relationship with food and, and just being sound of mind even when you're dieting down to the extremes. Yeah. Or at least trying to be. Um, but there are also, I think, even more levels to flexible dieting than just like, am I, am I tracking macros or am I not tracking macros? So, you know, there's protein, carbohydrates, and fats. Do we have to be tracking all three numbers every day? Even in it, so I'm in the off season now, clearly, based on our trips out in Orlando. Um, in the off season right now, I'm not really tracking all three numbers. And I think the step down from that is just tracking calories and protein. And I definitely do that in the off season for sure. So just kind of let the carbs and fats fall where they may. But I also find that giving people that option, even when they're in a diet, really um, gives them a lot of peace of mind. If for some reason something goes weird that day and they end up being way over on their fats by like noon, just hitting calories and protein is still going to get them where they want to go. Right. And now you're talking about consistency as opposed to, well, I hit my three macro targets within a couple of grams. Now it's like, well, I can always hit my calorie target for the day as long as I'm getting in enough protein to support performance and recovery. Right. And I still think for, for a lot of people with a fat loss goal, that's enough. That's enough. Like I would not recommend that during a contest prep as a strategy. You would use it more as a plan B on a contest prep. But for a lot of people just looking to, you know, drop a few pounds, that's a great strategy. I'm going to hit my protein goal. I'm going to stay in this calorie range every day. There you go. All right. So now we're making the diet more convenient. We're not taxing our our brain too much about decision making and all that jazz and so but I mean bottom line is at some point or another you can't outsmart your body and you're just going to wind up being uncomfortable and some suffering is going to inevitably be involved when we take ourselves out of homeostasis and we're changing our body weight set point we're changing our body composition by way of dropping body fat so one of the strategies that we like to employ that I am a big advocate and fan of I found much success with it is some degree of intermittent fasting. Now, I just want to preface- Hear us out. <laughs> yep. <laughs> when I say intermittent fasting, I don't mean the time, I mean, and there's all sorts of different feeding windows. I don't mean like the, let's not eat for 21 hours and let's cram in all two, two to 4,000 calories or whatever it is inside of three hours. Cause that's, that's a pretty terrible idea for the vast majority of people. We'll just leave it there for now. Go on. You know, and, and you, like I've seen a very small percentage of people that it works for, and everyone else it seems to just like feed unhealthy habits. One of the most common questions our listeners ask us is where we like to do our research. In this day and age, we're hit in the face by information everywhere we turn. So it's important to be selective about what content you choose to consume with your time to make sure it's time well spent. Our Ace in the Hole is a monthly publication called Mass, or Monthly Application in Strength Sports. Each month, we receive the latest issue of Mass with articles that are specifically curated for strength sport athletes, coaches, and fitness enthusiasts in a consumable, easy-to-digest format. 
Greg Knuckles, Eric Helms, and Mike Zordos are not only leaders in the industry, they have committed their careers to sifting through thousands of studies and journals on the latest in fitness science to find the most relevant cutting-edge info so you don't have to. If there was only one research source you could spend your time and energy reading to keep up with the evidence-based fitness world, in our opinion, it would be mass. Learn more about how to subscribe to their monthly digest at bit.ly forward slash vpmass. And that link will also be in the show notes, so should you want to keep on listening and check it out later, you can. If there's only one thing we have learned, it's to never stop learning. Hope you find our secret weapon as useful as we do. For sure. For the rest of us, I would say having an eight-hour feeding window is not just a... Ish. Yeah. Ish. There's nothing magic about eight hours. Or intermittent fasting. Right. I'll shut up. I keep interrupting. Go ahead. (laughs) Uh, Eight hours eating... 16 hours not eating every single day honestly that's what most of us are doing anyway for the most part maybe our feeding window is 10 hours so we're just short or 11 hours we're just shorting it by a couple hours so and we're being strategic about that feeding window so in other words instead of waking up and eating if you can hold out for like say anywhere from two to four hours upon waking before your first meal chances are you're going to wind up sticking to your caloric budget for the day more successfully because you're gonna wind up having fewer meals during the day, but they're going to be larger meals, and that's just gonna feel more satiating. Yeah, so when we say intermittent fasting, we're not talking about the the healing benefits of intermittent fasting or the hormone benefits or insulin sensitivity. We're literally talking about <laughs> skipping breakfast. Like when it comes down to it, right? Isn't that what we're saying? Like push breakfast off for as long as you can. And basically all this does is like most of us kind of eat. I think a lot of people just wake up and eat and then we just kind of eat all day until we go to bed. And if we can just kind of not eat as much at the ends of the day, that in and of itself is going to decrease the amount of calories we're taking in for many, many people. So, you know, we're talking about different dieting strategies. Obviously, if you're tracking macros, it doesn't matter if you're eating them in 12 hours or eight hours. Like that doesn't matter because you're gonna get the same number of calories. It can matter for satiety purposes, like you just said. Um, But for people who are not tracking, if you normally eat 12 hours of the day and you just shave off two hours at each end and you're only eating eight hours in the day, you're gonna end up eating less much more frequently and I think that is why so many people have a lot of success with intermittent fasting is simply because they're eating less there is a little bit of a curveball here for some individuals who train upon waking and for those people I personally suggest having something very small before you train maybe like half a banana and a protein shake if you're dieting. Or and half then, a banana and a spoon of peanut butter. Yeah, mm-hmm. and also making sure that your meal before you go to bed, you have it like later in the evening. Mm-hmm. and like backloading. Yeah, and it's a larger sized meal. That way, technically, you still have some, you know, some energy, some fuel for your morning workout. And it's still, I mean, it's not necessarily, like, like Danny said, it's not, it's not like, oh my God, it needs to be eight hours. It's just have the bulk of your foods within eight hours. Well, let's talk about the mother of all eating strategies that everybody wants to be at. Everybody. I have not met a person who doesn't want this as a goal. Intuitive eating. Mm. Everybody wants to be able to get to their, their physique that they want or the weight that they want 
and not have to think about it too hard, just intuitively be there. And I was talking to a client the other day, uh, what's up Lauren? And I came up with this analogy that I actually really, really liked about intuitive eating. I feel like you have to have some nutrition education before you can start to venture off into intuitive eating. And I likened it to when I was in school learning music. For years and years and years, we just drilled the scales every day. And I know that you were in band as well. Mm -hmm. Like, you just drilled the scales. Well, you were a drummer. What do, you, what do drummers do when you're playing scales? Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I'm very much so a part of the band, okay? I keep the beat. So, you know, we drilled the scales every day, and it was super, super boring and really, really tedious. But then come high school, when I was in the jazz band we would have to go around and solo every single morning. And if you did not know those scales by heart, your solo was gonna sound like crap. So you had to understand the music principles before you could just, you know, improvise and jazz out, right? Well, intuitive eating is like the solo, the jazz. You have to understand basic nutrition principles before you can get there. You have to walk before you run. So although I think intuitive eating is a wonderful, wonderful approach to goal yourself for, I mean, I think that should be everybody's goal, really. But you have to, if you want to intuitively eat and still you know, have the physique or have the performance that you want, you need to understand a lot of these other strategies that we've talked about first and have tried a lot of them out. And then I guess it's not necessarily just intuitive eating. I would say it's more like, what I call informed intuitive eating or intelligent intuitive eating, where you are still eating kind of what you want, when you want, but with the caveats of like understanding basic nutrition principles. And some of our listeners have not only geeked out on this information, um, some of you have also been tracking for a while and, and done different kinds of dieting strategies of your own. I'm sure ones that we haven't mentioned before. In other words, there are some listeners that, are, that have a good relationship with food and a good understanding of food portioning and how to track diligently and but have not explored intuitive eating, whether they're scared of the idea or just you know haven't tried it yet for whatever reason because they don't know, not sure how to do it. My suggestion here, uh, a little a task that you can do, a little exercise that you can do would be to literally, one, prove to yourself that you can do it. If you've been tracking long enough, you're probably going to eat similarly without tracking, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. But just that fear that you're not is enough to sort of throw you over the deep end and even wind up making you overeat because you're just scared or undereat because you're just scared. So my suggestion is to literally, for those of you that track diligently, take three days of no tracking and make a food journal and write your foods in and what you thought the serving sizes were of those foods at the end of the day every day for three days without accounting for calories in your head or on paper after those three days are up plug them in and then you can see for yourself just how on par you were with your current caloric baseline and I think that will give you the confidence to delve a little deeper into intuitive eating and to try it for longer periods of time it's kind of like riding a bicycle. Like once you know what 
the calories or the carbs or protein or whatever is in certain foods, like you're probably not going to forget, like you'll remember it for a long, long time. And you don't have to pull out a food scale to have a rough idea of what you're taking in. And you don't even need to think about what you're taking in too, too much if you've been eating similarly for a really long time. So yeah, I think that's a great tip. I also think it's important to start paying attention to your hunger and your fullness. Because when you've been relying on external cues, you know, numbers or a food scale or a meal plan for a long, long time, some people years, you've literally taught yourself to ignore your own internal cues of hunger and fullness. So checking in multiple times throughout the day, okay, on a scale of one to 10, one being starving, 10 being stuffed to the point of being sick, where am I right now? And doing that before you eat and then like 15 minutes after you eat multiple times a day can teach you like, a lot of times it can teach you like, okay, that meal is just obnoxiously big. Like I'm so stuffed after I eat it. There was no need for me to eat that much. Or wow, I'm, I like never feel full. I never eat enough to quite feel full. Like there's just so much you can learn from tapping back into that. And how this comes down to like a dieting strategy is let's say if you're not dieting, you're trying to stay between like a three and an eight the majority of the time. Three being like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm hungry. And eight being full. You know, if you're dieting, maybe you're trying to stay between like a two and a six. You know, like, okay, I'm pretty hungry now, but I'm only gonna eat until I am just satisfied. And do that multiple times a day. You don't have to track anything at all if you just pay attention to that and you know nine times out of ten you're going to get closer to your goal of shedding some body fat yeah i mean the other thing you can do is just judge it on the way that you feel when you are tracking you know if you start to feel full more often than not compared to the way that you felt when you were tracking at maintaining a certain body weight then you know you're probably going to be gaining for example and so i think with the combination of one trying to like trying out not tracking and then proving to yourself that you can do it trusting yourself while also like Danny said feeling out your hunger and, and finding a range for, for your hunger to be in on the hunger scale of one to ten like three or eight or wherever it is between doing those two things you can eventually it can be an unconscious thing where it's just what you do and you're not overthinking it you're not over analyzing it you're not needing to be on any scale or any food tracking app or anything not in your mind and not on paper and that is the ultimate goal yeah that's the end goal right we all we all hope to get to that place and there are times when it works well like for most people who just want to lose 10 pounds or so and there are times when it will not work at all like the last six weeks of a contest prep no effing way could you rely on your internal cues to get lean enough for a bodybuilding stage? That doesn't happen because it's not a natural place to be, you know? Like I would never, ever, 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 ever recommend any kind of intuitive eating for the end of a contest prep. Yeah, and also like, I think it kind of depends on your starting point also, not just your dieting skill level. You know, if, you, if you've been in a bulk for a while or a caloric surplus for any period of time, you've been dieted for a while, if you've been, uncomfortably full at all like even a even like once a week or something like that 
you're probably, you know, you're probably pushing the gain train <laughs> hard. And at that point, eating intuitively, you're probably just going to drop just yeah. because. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there are more than this. There's other ones that we didn't really touch upon, like volumetrics, which we've mentioned on the podcast before, but which is just eating as much really, really low calorie food as you want. Like, you know have as much broccoli or cucumber or spinach as you want um, and having that, eating that first before you eat the rest of your meals like you're gonna end up eating less calories that way so that is an approach I would use for somebody who's also like brand new into wanting to make physique change I think that's brilliant and it gets more produce into their diet so there are other more sort of advanced dieting strategies that we're not going to touch upon today if you guys would like to hear them let us know things like diet breaks, refeeds, calorie cycling, carb cycling, uh, things like that. If you guys want us to do an episode on that, please let us know one way or another, whether it's um, on Instagram or Facebook or just shoot us a message wherever. We're everywhere. Um, uh, and also other different types of like cardio training types of dieting strategies. We could do an episode on that as well. But let us know because will only make it if you want it. So hopefully this is helpful for you guys. And, and just, just you know, think about these dieting strategies. There's so many. They don't have to be independent of each other. You can use a lot of them in conjunction with one another. And don't lock yourself into one strategy. It's funny. I could picture you plugging in the, 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 um, with the sound effect for the Q&A. And, like, I'm playing it in my head right now. And it's probably, if, if you wind up putting that, Soundbite of me saying that right now onto the podcast. It'll probably be right after it. That's it. <laughs> Guys, I'm not going to sing it this time. You're still going to have to hear it. And here we go. A question for you, Danny. What do you love outside of health and fitness? Oh, well, that's a neat one. Uh, well, I love horror movies. I love horror movies and the whole horror genre in general. I am obsessed. <laughs> you know what I'm gonna say. No, I just like your sister's happy Halloween Easter text this morning just illustrates. Yeah, today that. today is Easter and my sister texted me this morning and said happy Halloween Easter and my two year old niece is in a Halloween outfit but she has like Easter bunny ears and wings on. It's pretty adorable. That's just how my whole family is. We've just always been like that. Um, I'm also obsessed with the 90s, all things 90s, uh, particularly 90s music. But uh, yeah, my whole family is really big into uh, just media, multimedia in general, books, movies, music. We just, we absolutely adore it. Uh, What about you, Giacomo? That's not fair. I don't get to be the only one who answers. So you go ahead. What do you like outside of health and fitness? One of us. One <laughs> of us. I, I'm definitely on the Halloween uh, trend these days. I don't I don't know that I'm that much into horror, but I, I do more than entertain. I do enjoy it from time to time. But up before we met, it was just... <laughs> God, I'll, I'll say it. I'll say it. It was, it was rom-coms. That was my thing. So. <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, in slapstick comedy... Um, Movies and stuff like that, humor. That's that's those are my two jams. But anyway, um, I love playing the drums. Uh, 
I'm getting back into gaming now. I used to be a gamer as a kid, and I'm getting back into it now a little we bit. We just got a so Jackmo got a Nintendo Switch. Yeah. I am not a video game player, but this video game came out that I really, really wanted to play called Cuphead, and we've been playing that together, and it's awesome. It's like 50s style cartoons, old timey music, totally trippy, a little bit Ren and Stimpy esque. I dig it. I really like it. I like landscaping. You like gardening, outdoorsy kind of stuff, hiking, etc. I, I love uh, doomsday prepping and <laughs> <laughs> away step away from the the, the worst case scenario. I then. like really twisted documentaries. <laughs> uh, I actually I don't. I was thinking about this the other day. I have no idea how I ended up in this industry at all. Like there, there was nothing in my young adult life or childhood life that pointed me in this direction at all, except for the fact that I was a nerd then and I'm a nerd now. I'm gonna ask this question again. I feel like this is something we gotta like think about a little more. Like how you wound up here. It's really nuts. Whenever I meet somebody from high school now, well, first of all, they don't recognize me because I'm almost 100 pounds less than I was in high school. But then when they find out like what I do, they're just like, what? Like what? I don't know. It's really weird. Okay, how about, let's, how about, a, how about an actual question that sure. has to do with what we do? Mm. This is a good one, and it's a really important one, and I don't know who asked it, but I, it's a very simple question. What do you do when you fall off track? Get right back on track. As simple as that sounds, the more days that you spend off track, the harder it is to get back on track. Uh, Everyone needs a minute to lick their wounds and be frustrated that they've fallen off track, but habits like anything else, the when you when you you got to reestablish them right away and it's okay to have a, to be off for a day, two days, three days, whatever it is. See, I think my thing is like try to never miss two days in a row. Mhm. Mm so if that's like skipping a day of training or eating way over on your macros or whatever, Try to not do it two days in a row. One day is a slip up. Two days is the beginning of a new habit, in yeah. my opinion. Well, but, but there are situations where you cannot maintain your habits for whatever reason, whether you're choosing to or not. Maybe you're on vacation, maybe you're injured, maybe there was a failing emergency. Any number of things can happen, life happens, and there will be times where you cannot be on your habit train for more, I keep saying the word train this. Uh -huh. Today's in podcast episode, uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> just <laughs> they can't see you, babe. I keep saying I feel like that's the third time I said train. Today's word of the day is train. Anyway, moving on. There will be situations where, you, whether it's by choice or by design, in your environment, you cannot be on your habits for more than two days. So, in these types of situations, I think it's important to just one accept that, and two focus on what you can do. No matter what you can't do regarding your fitness routine, there are going to be things that you can do. And as soon as you can reestablish those other habits that have fallen off for more than two days, you get back on them. So, yeah, I, I agree. Like, I'm not talking about when life happens and you can't do what you normally do. I'm talking about, like, if you have a screw it day, screw it, I'm not going to the gym. Mm. Screw it, I'm just going to eat whatever I want today. Obviously, not encouraging that, but if it happens, try very hard to not let it happen two days in a row. Also, what Giacomo said, like, focus on what you can do. If you're injured, you can still nail your nutrition. If you're 
can't think of a situation where you could, if you don't have access to food, the right foods or whatever on vacation, you might still be able to go train or be active in some way. So like always focusing on what you can do, but 100% agree with Giacomo. The, you have to just get back on track as quickly as possible and try to just let it go. Don't beat yourself up over it. Just let it go. Move on. I mean, being and be also, let's be realistic here. None of us are machines and some like we will present company include like I'm going to fall off some of my habits that I've done for years for more than two days, um, more, more than once or twice, um, throughout the duration of a year, you know, my mobility work, for example, is one of those things. And so when I've fallen off for more than two days, whether it's a week, two weeks, a month, whatever it is, I'm going to look back and reestablish all of the, the, like the pattern of the way that I was able to stick to my mobility routine. I'm going to reestablish that. I'm just be like, all right, well, what worked back then? I woke, I woke up. And I, and I stretched right after my morning cup of coffee. And and I also wrote it down in a habit tracker. And I goaled myself to do it three days a week because that was realistic. Like those three things, I will write them down and be like, all right, I'm going to do these three things and do them every day. And then, you know, chance I'll get back on it. All right, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Vegan Proteins, Muscles by Brussels Radio. If you have any questions or topics you'd like us to cover, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at Vegan Proteins and at Muscles by Brussels, and we will definitely get back to you. Thank you so much again for listening. My name is Danny, And I'm Giacomo. And we will talk to you soon. We're in again.